Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. Today, I've got something a little different planned. For this 20th episode of the podcast, I wanted to share an interview I did recently on the Anthony Q Total Human Performance Podcast. This is a new podcast from The Lab Strength, and I was lucky enough to be featured as one of the first few guests on the show. Since I was the interviewee for this one, we, of course, talked about my Crohn's and some of the updates and changes that I've gone through with my diet and fitness in trying to manage my disease over the years. I was on a different podcast with Anthony a little over a year ago. And so in this one, we talked about how my diet has evolved since then into my current carnivore approach and some of the new supplements I've added including CBD oil, and my experiences with them. Now, a quick note on supplements. When we recorded this, I hadn't yet been introduced to the new supplements from Intestinal Fortitude. So when we talked about probiotics on this podcast, Anthony and I, I didn't mention any specific one that I love, which, as those of you who follow me know, I have become a huge fan and cheerleader of the Pro B11 probiotic from Intestinal Fortitude. And ever since discovering the story behind the product and meeting the founder, Will Jenkins, over the podcast, I haven't been able to stop talking about it. But enough about that. Back to this episode. Anthony and I, we also talk about a variety of health and fitness topics from fasting and meditation to working out and some of the things I'm excited about in the field of Crohn's research. So without further delay, I introduce you to my interview on the Anthony Q Total Human Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the Anthony Q Podcast. We are here to discover the potential of the human body through fitness and wellness. Are you going to eat the microphone? <laughs> Try not to. So, we're just going to go straight into it. Okay. Are we recording? Oh, yeah. We've been recording. We're on. Oh, well, you got to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I like keeping it raw, keeping it <laughs> keeping it natural. So, the last time you were on, mm-hmm. you were one of the first people that Lindsay and I interviewed. Mm-hmm. Now, we're transitioning to you know me doing all of the talking, changing mm-hmm. the podcast up a little bit. Over the past, that was last year, right? That was last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, over the past year... Whenever we did that podcast, you have went through crazy changes. Mm-hmm. You have had probably the most growth I've seen since I've known you in the past year. So can you take us through that past year journey? I, I can. I've done some, what some people would call extreme or radical changes, but it all stems back to, for those that maybe don't remember, didn't hear, I have Crohn's disease. I've had that since 2006, so I've been battling battling Crohn's and been trying to figure out what's the best way I can eat 
and supplement and be healthy without having to be dependent upon medication. I've done it before and then it didn't work and I had to go back on medication and then I came off again, but it's been a couple years now, this time around. And for anyone who does have Crohn's who's listening, I do keep my doctors in the loop. <laughs> I think it's important that they're there. They're on standby if I need them. But what kind of doctors? like Gastroenterologist. Okay. And so, so last time I was on, I was following pretty much a homemade, everything was homemade, a lot of probiotic foods. So I was making homemade sauerkraut. I was letting it ferment in jars for four to six to eight weeks. I was doing sauerkraut, kombucha. I did a lot of organic vegetables and I have a hard time with vegetables, but I was doing okay. And there's certain vegetables that I can tolerate, but so I was eating some vegetables and organic meats and I was doing okay, but then I started to have some Crohn's symptoms come back and I didn't want to keep doing some you know, keep doing what I was doing and yeah. just have the Crohn's get worse and worse. But I also wasn't ready. It wasn't bad enough that I wanted to jump back on medication. What but kind of symptoms like is it so, Crohn's? So for people who don't know, Crohn's is um, not dinner conversation. So if you're listening <laughs> over dinner, <laughs> pause. But, yeah. uh, so basically for me, it's the worst flare I had was uncontrollable, literally uncontrollable bloody diarrhea and a lot of mucus and so when I start getting Crohn's symptoms it's it's a lot of pain and bloating and cramping and my bowel movements are just mucus and okay. so it kind of looks to me it seems like my intestines are just disintegrating <laughs> is there any throwing up or anything or is it all there's no throwing up usually if people are throwing up it's because they have a blockage okay. um, and so it usually throwing up can often signify something very serious okay um, so not typically a, a symptom so the vegetables that you were eating in the fermentation, mm -hmm. what would be the purpose of that for our listeners to... So the fermenting really helps to break down the vegetables. So when you put it in the environment to where the vegetable goes through its anaerobic process and breaks down, it it, it essentially pre-digests the food. And then that process also kind of unlocks a lot of the nutrients and the minerals in there, making it a little bit more bioavailable so that your body can more easily use those nutrients that are in there. So it helps to break it down and more nutrients. And so for someone with Crohn's like me, who had a hard time digesting vegetables, it made it a lot easier and actually possible to digest vegetables. Which is interesting too, because taking fermenting something, mm -hmm. you're also getting rid of that like outside stuff that's like in the natural air mm -hmm. that like lands on it all the pesticides that even if it's organic mm -hmm. it could naturally get some just chemicals on it um i remember seeing you eating almonds mm -hmm. but you soaked your almonds I soaked them mm -hmm. so is that similar uh, process as fermentation like is the soaking it and letting it break down or are you just trying to remove the outer skin it is in the way that it makes it easier to digest but a lot of plants have lectins in them. Yeah. Um, Dr. I believe it was Stephen Gundry wrote a really great book, um, The Plant Paradox, I believe. And so that takes you through all of the information and research, but it's basically plants have a defensive mechanism. And so plants have a lot of lectins, they have 
kind of natural plant toxins that make things hard to digest because they don't want to be eaten. And so yeah. that's their that's their defense mechanism. And so if you think about it, a lot of plants are poisonous. That's their defense mechanism. Whenever you actually go to clip stuff from your garden, mm-hmm. other plants are signaled via... To, to the, back away. <laughs> to, to start producing, like to become oh, okay. not as flavorful. Mm-hmm. There's like some like woo-woo stuff out there. Yeah. that's like if you... Like if an animal bites this plant, then all the other plants become mm-hmm. bitter tasting. So that animal doesn't continue to eat the other plants. So interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that when you soak things like almonds, it helps to neutralize and deactivate a lot of those plant enzymes like the lectins. And probably just as you were saying, when the plants start to get eaten and then it you know, signifies the other plants to start sprouting and reproducing that kind of happens when you soak the almonds soaking it in the water kind of signals for it to release the lectins and some of that toxic element the natural plant enzymes that it has so it helps to neutralize those and then the skin just has extra fiber and once you soak them for a while the almonds just pop right out of the how long do you soak them for people that want to try that out i soak them overnight I think from everything I read when I first was learning how to do it, you just maybe six to eight hours is about what you need for almonds. And it varies a few hours by the nut, whatever it is you're soaking. But mine, I just put them in, you know, if it was a Monday night, I'd put them in and then Tuesday night, I'd take them out, rinse them and eat them. Yeah. Have you ever had quinoa or can you eat quinoa? I don't think i can eat it i think i've tried it but it's been a long a lot of people have problems eating it and i was trying to figure out how to eat it so it's more bioavailable to the body whenever you just cook it there's all the lectins on the outside and it's Mm -hmm. like uh uh, what's it called saposin or Mm -hmm. something like that that irritates the gut lining Mm -hmm. so a lot of people are eating quinoa because it's a superfood but yet they're having gut problems gut distress Mm -hmm. so i was trying to look up how to soak it so if you soak it you're releasing the toxins back into the insides of the uh quinoa so i finally found out of like multiple hours of research it's best to soak it for five to ten minutes with like Mm -hmm. a apple cider vinegar and water then once everything's kind of like on it and you're like mixing it around for like those five minutes then you rinse that out Mm -hmm. and then you run like cold water over it just to rinse all of that off of it you put so you have like a strainer mm-hmm. underneath the strainer is the kin wall or the like where the water can drip let it drip out and then you do that like four or five times a day and then overnight you can soak them because now all the bad stuff on the outside is off of it and then while you're soaking it you'll start seeing them sprout so after you sprout wow. them for three to four days there's actually a little like curly mm-hmm. like plants coming out mm-hmm. of it once you see that then they're digestible they taste completely different they're like full of flavor wow yeah that's so. a lot of work oh it is a lot of work <laughs> But now that's the only way I eat them because I can yeah. tell a difference. Before, the my best way to signify if it was working or not, whenever mm-hmm. I'd eat them and I'd use the bathroom, I would see the Sprouts. Uh, quinoa. <laughs> I'd see the quinoa. Mm-hmm. Whenever I sprouted them, I didn't see anything. So that oh, means my body's actually absorbing it. Actually using them, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So now that we're, you're out of, the, you're doing the vegetables, you mm-hmm. fermented everything, that's where you were. That's where I was, yeah. Where did you go into after that? Because shortly afterwards, you changed everything completely. I changed everything, and I started getting frustrated because I felt like I was doing everything, you know, I didn't feel like I could change that much because my diet was already 
pretty strict at that point and I was doing things very natural whole foods organics and and I didn't really feel like there was anywhere else I could go with that and so then I came across I forget how I first saw it I think it was a website called Paleo Medicina and it's not in this country and so how to use Google Translator, but (laughs) (laughs) there was a story on there of a girl who was pretty much following an all-meat diet. And then just fortuitously, it was around the same time that Dr. Sean Baker was becoming well-known, and he'd gone on the Joe Rogan podcast. And then I stumbled across this World Carnivore Month that (laughs) was becoming a thing. And this was last January of 2018, that I started discovering all of this. And so then I found out that people eat meat and only meat, and they've been doing so for 10, 20, 30 years, and they're doing well. So for me, I've always done well eating meat. Steak has always been my favorite food. I tolerate it well, I can digest it easily. And so I thought, well, what the heck? (laughs) Why don't I uh, (laughs) go ahead and give this a try and, and see what happens? And so, January of 2018, I decided to cut out all vegetables and fruit, and I went carnivore since then. So I've been doing, I did that, and I was really strict carnivore for those first probably six months of the year. And I'd even cut out the raw milk that I was getting from the farm and cut out all the vegetables. It was, people would ask me, what do you eat on an all-meat diet? Yeah, (laughs) that's what I was about to ask. I'd say it's... It's all meat. Yeah. <laughs> so, like you're I, looking at certain cuts. Like so, I would eat pork. ground beef, steak, bacon, um, eggs. I would eat eggs because okay. it's an animal product and so it's still carnivorous. But so, I pretty much just ate ground beef and steak for the first six months and did you get off all of your like kombucha and all your i did i got off uh, the kombucha the sourdough i think we talked about sourdough Mm -hmm. bread last time i gave up all that stuff and because i really wanted to give this a try one of the great things i noticed is we did travel during that period that i was eating only meat and when i traveled this time it was so much easier to just go to a restaurant and order a steak or for breakfast get bacon and eggs (laughs) and so i i ate really well and i I didn't have any trouble. So for the most part, my Crohn's symptoms pretty much subsided, but they didn't completely go away. It was still kind of the symptoms would be on again, off again, on again, off again, but nothing severe enough that I was ready to jump back on medication or go to the doctor. So you're off of medication this whole time. And so I've been off medication the whole time. And so the all meat was doing pretty well. And so I've been sticking with that, but then... I think it's important for people to learn how to listen to their bodies. 100%. And I'm still learning how to do that. And it's funny because after all these years of dieting and exercising, it's I feel like I I still don't really know how to listen. And so when I started going on this this new carnivore diet, I would my appetite fluctuated. It was some days it would be ravenous and I would eat two, you know, 12 ounce ribeyes <laughs> for dinner, um, or just a pound, pound and a half of meat. And, but then other days I wouldn't be hungry. And I think as our bodies are healing, they're changing, but you've got to learn how to listen to those signals. And so I think after 
a year of doing this carnivorous diet and trying to reduce my stress, I think I'm able to finally start realizing I'm hungry, I'm not hungry, this is just a craving, this will pass, and I'm starting to feel like I'm getting there. So so I think it's really important, and I, I bring that up because about probably in the last few months, I've been adding back a couple of different vegetables. I brought the raw milk back into my diet, I brought in some avocados, and I did some boiled carrots. And so when I say I'm carnivore now, I'm more like 90, 95% carnivore. And so I think it's important to to learn, and it's hard to do, but just kind of learn what your body is needing. And don't be afraid to try things. Because yeah. during the during the whole year I was carnivore, there was one time I thought, okay, let me let me add in some sourdough bread. I did did well with it before. I feel like I want some bread. <laughs> and I did that and I regretted it yeah. because I had a rash on my legs and I immediately felt horrible. My gastrointestinal symptoms got worse. And so I cut that back out and went carnivore again. But but I tried. And so it was good to know that, all right, I'm definitely keeping these things out and so these things I can bring in. The carnivore diet... For you, it's basically an extreme elimination diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. like really, because where you, you're not eating anything but meat, and then you try to incorporate something later on to see how you feel. Because I'm sure if you, you've, ate, you've eaten sourdough bread before and you're fine mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the past. So yeah. your body might have been more, that's where I kind of have like a back and forth with like elimination diets. Mm-hmm. If I never drink milk, and then two years later I drink milk, I'm probably going to feel lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. But if I drink milk all the time, I'm going to have like the mucus and stuff, you know, that yeah. milk is associated with. So it's like, where do you kind of draw the line? Do you want to enjoy, you know, like those yeah. things in life that you might accidentally get in your diet or whatever? You know, that's and kind our, of a hard our part. Our bodies adapt too, because I've noticed over the years when I've, even when I've not intentionally done an elimination diet, but I've noticed there's things I used to eat and I would be okay with. And then things I eat now, and I'm not okay with them. Yeah. So it's, our bodies adapt and they change. And Has your taste changed from eating so much meat? Yes, I would, I think yes. One thing I've noticed is I believe my sense of smell has really become heightened. Interesting. Which it is interesting because I've, I've really pick up on scents that are not necessarily nearby, but if I'm, in the building and there's chocolate chip cookies <laughs> baking mm-hmm. i can smell them or i'll just pick up i've noticed it's a it's a heightened scent and so it's very interesting and sometimes the foods just you know the way our brain works is really interesting too well but when we flood our body with sugary foods all mm-hmm. the time you don't really smell the sugary you foods. don't smell and taste and and i've noticed some of the sometimes when i'll make food it'll just might be scrambled eggs but depending maybe if i use the farm fresh butter that i get far from the farm depending on the season it'll taste different but sometimes my brain almost plays tricks on me and i'll be eating a bowl of scrambled eggs with sour cream and it almost tastes like macaroni and cheese to me Interesting. And so it's i don't know you know if my body just hasn't had macaroni for so long it's doesn't know what it to wants <laughs> it and it's creating this flavor and how much of our brains play into that but but it has been interesting because i've noticed 
just a heightened sense of smell. The flavors are different. And Have you ever heard of the stuff called Bogarda? I have not heard of that. So you can tolerate yolks yes. or eggs. Mm-hmm. So Yogarda, I just got it at the, uh, I might be pronouncing that completely wrong. This guy at the farmer's market had these blocks of cheese looking stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is that? He's like, oh, Bogarda. It's some, I don't know what he called it from somewhere. <clears throat> Basically, it's a yolk from, he makes them from ducks. He takes the yolk. He dries them out with a with salt and smoke. Mm-hmm. And then it creates like a block of, it's like a block of gelatin, like cheese texture. Mm-hmm. But it's just egg yolk with smoke and some salt in it. Wow. And so he had like some, uh, like a shredder, like a microplane and plane some out mm-hmm. in a little thing. And I looked, I was like, there's nothing in here. Like you can barely see it. It's like, there's not going to be any flavor. So I like put some in my mouth. I was like, holy, that is amazing. It's like a, a smoky cheddar cheese. Wow. So I don't know. That just made me think about like your macaroni yeah, and cheese. Same thing. Maybe there's something about the, the yolks because the eggs I would use were from a local farm. And so definitely maybe it's a different flavor that the farm fresh yolk yeah. has hidden in there. There's kind of a cheese flavor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I think it's nice. interesting whenever you look at eggs, mm-hmm. you buy like the cheap 99 cent dozen eggs and you buy the organic free range, mm-hmm. no pesticides or anything. The cheap eggs are like really bright yellow, mm-hmm. which look like an appetizing egg. But then whenever you look at the organic range free, the, the healthy eggs, mm-hmm. they're like that dark orange color. They are. And it's so amazing because I've cooked those eggs like side by side because mm-hmm. I've like, oh, I have like four eggs of these and then two eggs of these. And it's put them all together and it makes me not even want to eat the yellow eggs because there's not as much nutrient in it yeah not as much <laughs> and it's also interesting too when you notice how weak and brittle the shells are for the cheap eggs versus how strong the shell is from a farm a farm mm-hmm. egg and a duck egg if you've ever cracked one of those they're like you need a little chisel to, <laughs> to break those so eggs that guy that was selling he sold uh, chicken eggs duck eggs and quail eggs or no, duck eggs and quail eggs. Maybe he had chicken, something else. Mm-hmm. But I wanted duck eggs because I never had duck eggs. He's like, we don't have duck eggs right now. Like a coyote came in, ate oh. one of our ducks. So like they're not producing right now because they're scared, <clears throat> but our quails are making a lot of eggs. So I bought quail <clears throat> eggs and I cr- tried cracking one open and I was like, okay, that's not cracking open very well. Cause like the skin mm-hmm. <laughs> on the inside of it, the skinny skin type texture stuff, it's like, I basically cracked this whole egg apart and I'm peeling it, but it's not even hard boiled. I'm like, what the hell? So then I had to like rip open that little sack to like pour the egg out. (laughs) Dump out the egg yolk. (laughs) Is that similar to duck eggs? It's kind of, yeah. It sounds like the quail eggs are probably a little bit stronger, but. They're tricky because they're just so small. So whenever you try to crack it, like I was trying, I was cracking it on a knife, like with the blade up. So that way it would actually cut through that part. So my, the other three that I cracked open were easier, but the first one I cracked like on the side of a glass or something like I would normally do. being small makes a difference because the duck eggs are bigger than a regular egg. And so they're, they're larger, but I would crack mine on the edge of the sink. Normally I could just crack an egg on the side of the pan that I'm cooking in or crack it in a bowl, but I really had to (laughs) to whack the egg. And so I do it on that edge of the sink to really break it and pre-crack the eggs before I cook them. Could you taste the difference in the eggs? I can. The duck eggs are really creamy. They're very nice. My mouth's Um, watering right now thinking about it. I wanted something (laughs) so bad, but he didn't have any. Mine are watering too. I tried to get duck eggs a few weeks ago from the farm I get my eggs from, but they were 
all out. I don't know if ducks don't make a lot of eggs in the winter. But that's, that's what I asked the guy. I said, is it like a seasonal thing? Because, I mean, they're kind of a seasonal animal. Like, they fly. Yeah. He's like, no, they normally do it year-round, but sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's hard when you're dealing with Mother Nature. <laughs> oh, I know. We're so used to the we can buy milk whenever we want we can mm-hmm. buy eggs whenever we want from yeah. the store we don't have to see the process but those are those animals are bred to do that and they're the best at that or natural farm stuff it's like sometimes you they might don't get it you might not the chickens might be stressed out so they're not gonna lay <laughs> i've had a couple times i've i've called the farm that i get the raw milk from since i've added that back in my diet and so i'll ask you know can i get two gallons of milk and sometimes they'll tell me the milks aren't producing. I might be able to get you half a gallon or a gallon, but it's it's up in the air when the weather is cold and you're working with Mother Nature. Mm-hmm. So. so from the carnivore diet, now you're adding stuff back. Just foods or have you tried anything else like supplements or? A couple things. So yes to all of the above. Um, and you mentioned before that the carnivore can be kind of an elimination diet, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like this process I'm doing now, adding stuff back in. But a lot of people are using the carnivore diet as an elimination diet because it's an easy way to just almost cut out everything. And even though it sounds really restrictive, I've done elimination diets before that I have not been able to complete because they're so restrictive and they're so difficult. This is kind of simple too. Like You don't have to think about what to cook. You just cook steak. And I think that's why it works for so many people and why it definitely worked for me because I couldn't get through elimination diets, but put me on all meat and somehow I did it and it was very delicious and filling and I was able to do it. Were you adding any oils to the meats or were you just trying to cook everything? No, I cooked ribeyes because it's important that you get fat in. You can't live on protein alone. That's what I was kind of curious about, like how mm -hmm. much fat you were getting in. And so I pretty much just stuck with ribeyes and if I stuck with ribeyes, I felt really good. If I ate a lean piece of meat, I'd get hungry sooner. And so if we, if that was the only meat I had, I would put some butter, butter with it or ground beef. I'd usually, usually use a little bit of butter in the pan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, so I've been adding, starting to add food back in just because I felt like I'm not, I don't feel optimal. My body still feels like it's, it was missing something and I don't have a good objective way to describe that and so unfortunately it was just this intuitive sense (laughs) that I needed I needed more but I love that you say that because I've I love science and I love Mm -hmm. reading scholarly articles but my problem is we as people become so dependent on this article says this Mm -hmm. this supplement does this based on this article these hundred articles say this is bad or this is good or whatever but we have to realize that everyone's different. Mm-hmm. The sample size might not reflect who you are or who it might benefit. So as much as a scientist I am, I also realize that you have to look at like everything objective comes from, or everything subjective comes from, hold on, I have that backwards. <laughs> everything that you can find objectively mm-hmm. with measurements comes from a subjective thought. Mm-hmm. You have to say like love, like, how do you measure love? Well, you mm-hmm. can't. You can look at uh, neurotransmitters and kind of see what's going on whenever people feel love or whenever you do a certain diet, you can look at, mm-hmm. you know, like what's, there's a question that you're asking that is a subjective question to mm-hmm. get that objectiveness. So I feel like people are just honing in too much on, they're like putting too much faith in 
it needs science. data. It, yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes you just need to do what you did and just say like intuitively, this felt better. Yeah. Like, and along that same line, some people think if you're following whatever diet, this diet, that diet, if you're carnivore, you can only eat X, Y, Z, you can't do anything else. Or if you're doing keto, you have to eat X, Y, Z, or you're doing this or that, no matter what it is, people I think can get locked into this way of, I cannot stray from this. And so even though I was following a carnivore diet, knowing that I needed, I needed something, me, Stephanie Gish needed something a little bit different and I needed to tweak it. I think people need to recognize that there's not a one size fits all and Mm -hmm. one diet may be great one way, but if you need to tweak it, you can tweak it if that's what you need to do. So I felt like I needed some tweaking and I brought in, I brought the raw milk back in probably six months ago. Early on, I just kind of had this epiphany that you know what, I was doing really good with the raw milk. That definitely seemed to be helping me. And so I got it from the farm again when I was having another upswing of my symptoms. And it helps. It makes my gut feel good. It makes me feel good. It helps the symptoms come down just a little bit. So I've had the raw milk back in for probably six months or so. And then I've just kind of toyed with a few things here and there. I make like a little protein treat People will say that if you're on the carnivore diet or a different diet, that your cravings tend to go away for junk food and different foods. And I think that's partly true because most of my cravings, I don't crave foods the way I used to, and I have a huge sweet tooth. But when I'm around other people eating sweet things, I definitely want (laughs) sweet things. So one of the things I do make is I'll take like a glob of coconut oil and then I'll take a little scoop of protein powder. There's one brand that doesn't seem to upset my digestive system. So I'll put that in there, put some glutamine in there and some lysine powder and I mix it all up and I get almost (laughs) not quite a cookie, but it's a sweet treat. It's got that little bit of sweetness and Have you tried like monk fruit or anything? I've tried monk fruit, but as you were talking about earlier, if my tastes have changed, since I really don't use, eat any sugar, just having the sweetness from the protein powder, it seems to be enough sweetness okay. that I've tried putting other sweeteners in there and it's just, it's too much. So. That's how I feel with uh, monk fruit. I've tried experimenting with like adding a little bit of monk fruit to a coffee and just to mm-hmm. make, like just to have a different flavor profile. And I noticed that if I add a quarter of a teaspoon, mm-hmm. it's good. If I add a little, like a rounded quarter of a teaspoon, it's like not good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so like monk fruit's one of those things where it's so strong. It's like, if you go over a little bit, like I'll just pour the whole coffee out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I do eat, I have added those little pro treats back in. Have you tried digestive enzymes of any type? I've tried. Um, just cause I'm thinking like you mm-hmm. died, you pre-digested your food with the fermentation. So I wonder if you've tried. I think at one point I did try some digestive enzymes a few years ago, and I didn't really Do you know what brand notice they were? the difference. No, it was been too long. Because I know a lot of digestive enzymes are very weak for what mm-hmm. they do, so you have yeah. to be like pretty careful on what kind of digestive enzymes. Because a lot of digestive enzymes are not active whenever mm-hmm. you're taking them. Yeah. So that's same thing with curious. probiotics too. 
I still take a probiotic, but honestly, I don't know how much it really helps. That's been one of those things where I, I don't have a good way to measure those. it, and mm-hmm. I don't really notice anything significant, so it's hard to... Whenever I was making my own kombucha, uh, you got me into that. Mm-hmm. I noticed a big difference whenever I started taking the kombucha for like a month. Mm-hmm. So then I was taking more and more to get like that same effect. So I was into, I ended up drinking like half a gallon a day because mm-hmm. I, for one, I liked the way it tasted and it was kind of like my soda. Mm-hmm. And then two, I felt like I needed more to feel good. Mm-hmm. And then I realized once I got off of it for like three or four days and I drank a little bit, like maybe four to five ounces, I felt good again. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of like what you're saying. You don't know how well they work. And I feel like you almost have to have like 50 different types of prebiotics and probiotics yeah. and change them up so often but i've seen stuff where people talk about some probiotics they're you're just like flushing them out like through Mm -hmm. your body like you're getting a little bit of benefits from it and then different people have different requirements Mm -hmm. so say there's five different uh strains in there you might need one of those so you're putting more of the bad ones in your body that aren't really bad for other people they're just bad for what you Mm -hmm. need so you're not getting a benefit out of it so there's a company called uh Viome, kind of like Biome, mm-hmm. the Biome mm-hmm. testing, but it's a V Vi, like Viome, um, and they test your stool based mm-hmm. on what bacteria you have, mm-hmm. and then they give you like a recommendation on what you should take. Oh. They'll actually like send you supplements based on your poop analysis for that. So like you need L bacterium latte mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, and they'll give they'll send you something with just that in it. Or maybe you need two, or maybe you mm-hmm. need something of this. So that seemed pretty interesting. It is. I think our gut microbiomes, we're di- digressing a little bit, but I think they change and evolve over time too because it's almost, you know, the change of the season, the change of the foods we eat, our gut is always turning well, over. And so who knows that yeah. we might need one probiotic in the spring and a different mm-hmm. probiotic in the winter. It's hard to say. That's what, so you've told me this before, and I've heard other people say, like people with skin autoimmune issues, mm-hmm. they say in the winter, this seems like the flare-ups are more. Mm-hmm. And you said the same thing with like yep. your Crohn's. So it's like your skin has bacteria, your mm-hmm. gut has bacteria, like it's all bacteria. So if you're changing the bacteria profile, I mean, from dry weather. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing, talking about supplements, is I've been taking vitamin D. So I've that's one thing that I do test and I'm able to get objective data on and so in the winter time my vitamin d levels have just plummeted and mm-hmm. so there's some studies out there growing body of research that vitamin d is linked with inflammation and so there's some studies out there that you know i've come across and been intrigued about but now that i'm starting to test my vitamin d levels and see that my levels definitely go down in the winter time and my Crohn's symptoms pick up in the wintertime too that it's kind of like maybe there's a correlation there so um, I don't think it's just you know one thing in particular but I do think all these things kind of come together in this very complex way that I'm not sure how we're ever going to understand but <laughs> yeah. from the gut microbiome to vitamin d levels to what we're eating and it's pretty complex but so I have been supplementing with vitamin d and the levels are starting to go back up so i'll probably increase my dose some more but i brought that back in k2 
is a new supplement I've added. I came across a book. Are you taking that by itself? I'm like taking a, it with the vitamin D. But I mean like as, a, as its own supplement? Yes, as okay. its own supplement. So vitamin K2. And so that's one thing I stumbled across probably late summer that vitamin K, in a nutshell, I would describe it as vitamin K tells calcium to go to your bones and not into your soft tissues. Mm-hmm. And it helps the absorption of vitamin D and everything has this synergistic effect. Mm-hmm. So That's an important thing to bring up because mm-hmm. a lot of people get their blood tested and they'll see their vitamin D levels. Mm-hmm. Well, where is that vitamin D going? Like you can have a lot of it in your blood, mm-hmm. which isn't a good thing. Like you want it in your bone. You want the vitamin D to regulate things properly. So people take vitamin D all the time and then they're drinking a lot of milk, mm-hmm. but there's no K2 there. So it's like yeah. you could potentially be damaging. <laughs> your, like if you get a bruise, I've seen uh, issues where people can get a, like a mm-hmm. gnarly bruise on their leg or their hip or whatever, and they can actually get uh, bone deposits inside that bruise. Mm. So wow. if you don't have the K2, then there's no signaling of where to go. Mm-hmm. So those have been my supplements that I've added in and kind of changed since starting this carnivore. I do a, I take a probiotic because I have it, so why not? (laughs) But I do take the vitamin D and the K2. The K2, I can't measure or really know, but I do believe it's helping just Mm -hmm. as we were talking about. And the vitamin D levels I measure. Glutamine has always been touted as a good supplement for the gut lining. And so I've taken that, but that's... That's one thing where I'm, I don't have good evidence that it's working or not working, but I don't think it's hurting. So I just keep taking the, the glutamine. I think, uh, like collagen peptides, if you take like drink bone broths or you take, um, the powder, the collagen Mm -hmm. powders, I think that has a lot of the glutamine in it and stuff like that. So that's why it's good for like joints and gut Mm -hmm. lining and stuff. So, so talking about supplements, the final mm-hmm. probably the the king of the supplements that i'm taking right now is the cbd oil okay. so i finally started researching because i was having another upswing of symptoms even still doing the carnivore 95 percent carnivore yeah. <laughs> but another upswing of symptoms and at this point i was like i don't know what else to change i took out all the food <laughs> yeah. i'm still working out what do i change and so i started looking at cbd oil which i should actually say raw hemp oil is what I'm taking because I had a huge learning curve. I didn't know what CBD versus hemp versus anything was. So I did a massive launch into Google (laughs) (laughs) to figure everything out. But I settled on a brand. I started taking the CBD oil and I think I wasn't taking, I took a just a run of the mill brand that I didn't notice any effects after a first few days. And then I signed up, I, um, or I found from all my research, I found the Endoka brand. Um, and so I went ahead and purchased that. And within a day, I was noticing direct benefits. And so I've been taking the CBD. I had a little a growth, a spot on my arm that literally fell off. Interesting. <laughs> and it was, it kind of looked like a, almost a little mole, but it was just kind of a growth of skin like cells. Kind of like a skin tag looking thing? Almost but it looked like a mole. More like so, a mole. So it's like yeah. an abnormal growth of skin cells. I'd gone to the dermatologist because I didn't know what it was. It's non-cancerous. They just call it seborrheic keratosis, I believe, okay. which, which is a very common benign growth for people in middle age. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> well, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But within, and I was actually researching dermatologists to get this thing removed. It had been there for about a year. And literally within about probably 36 to 48 hours of taking the CBD oil, this thing kind of crusted over like a scab and just fell off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk this through real quick. Mm-hmm. My thought process. Mm-hmm. So you start taking CBD oil. You're a middle-aged person where this skin tag thing mm-hmm. happens to. So whenever you get older, your DNA isn't as accurate. Mm-hmm. So it's telling random cells sometimes say, oh, we need to send stuff here when mm-hmm. that's not the right thing to do for that area. Kind of creating the skin growth, this abnormal the skin mm-hmm, growth. kind of a malfunction in the system. And now my cells are just so proliferating almost, yeah. in one little spot. So I would almost speculate saying that it's somehow causing something in your DNA to mm-hmm. correct itself. I'm thinking it really just felt like it allowed my body to align that maybe it took down some of the inflammation in a certain spot like the stress was causing mutations to happen yeah and now that your body's not stressed in the sense because you're taking the cbd oil to reduce the stress now your body's like i have no i have no idea i know this is all speculation but speculation it's exciting but it was a direct i mean for me that one little thing was a direct cause and effect really I, I hadn't changed anything else I started taking that and this little thing just came off and the more I could you know what I could research and learn about it is that it's just this abnormal growth of skin cells and the CBD um, we have you weren't putting it on there no I was just, You're taking, just taking it, it orally, orally. It, but our bodies have cannabinoid receptors mm-hmm. that allow our bodies to I mean, maybe it's reduce anxiety, inflammation. It almost just kind of balances the body. And so I don't know if it was just able to balance me enough that my body recognized, oh, we had this malfunction over here. Stop the malfunction, normalize, yeah. and now we can resume normal Are you operating with, procedures. Yeah. <laughs> Are you familiar with uh, epigenetics? A little bit. So the main idea is that say you're eating a certain style of food or mm-hmm. you're under a certain mm-hmm. style of stress, mm-hmm. then some genes could be turned on or off and on or off doesn't mean good or bad. It just means mm-hmm. that's what's being expressed at the moment. So epigenetics mm-hmm. can change the gene expression at any mm-hmm. time. So that's what that kind of makes me yeah. think of like the CBD oil is benefiting you by turning on or off something to make it your body well work might better. Be. So I noticed that right away. And then I also, at the same time I'd mentioned my Crohn's symptoms were on an upswing. And so I'd also developed this rash on my arms and legs. And people with Crohn's, IBD can have, it's an inflammatory disease. And so mm-hmm. your immune system is malfunctioning. So skin rashes are pretty common for people with IBD. So I'd got this rash. Maybe it was related, maybe not, but I do have Crohn's. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't going away. It was, you know, starting to get worse. And then I started taking the CBD. And within a day, the rash almost subsided but within five days it was completely gone like after the first day everything was like noticeably gone and then I had just these lingering red spots but then you know by five by five days everything was just what kind of rash was resolved. it like almost like under the skin rash or was it like a actual- kind of like under the skin just deep itchy I don't even know and of course I didn't go to the doctor but yeah. <laughs> Because and it's a it's a hard line to walk because on the one hand I feel like I don't want to wait too long to go into the doctor but 
at the, you know, every little drop of a hat, I don't want to run in either. So it's, I struggle with when do I go in? When do I not go in? But I have the same problem because I want, like if I was to get diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. if I had two months to live, mm-hmm. then I would try for a week of figuring out whatever I could do yeah. to reduce my cancerous issues mm-hmm. and you know if it was like six months and i would say okay well give me like two weeks three weeks mm-hmm. before i do extreme procedures like chemo or something like that yeah just because people have done that and they've got out of it through natural remedies but i mean i still respect our healthcare yeah. system like yeah if i get hit by a bus <laughs> take me in get me fixed up yeah. get me alive and then come out yeah so and i love that my doctors are pretty much on standby in the wings and they're ready with the tools that they have at their disposal to help me. The Do best any of your doctors follow like a naturopathic style or is it, are they pretty traditional? I think they're pretty, they're pretty traditional. My, I do have a brand new gastroenterologist who, as I've been trying to research him a little bit more and find out what he's done. He does a lot of studies, like he researches, you know, vitamin D connections and he's looking at some of those different things. So I think he's probably a little bit more progressive than most but he's also a Crohn's specialist and so I think maybe he's looking at a lot of those different things that are reported to be helping or not helping so it's good to have I do have a good someone team. like you where you're like this is what's going on with me because mm-hmm. you even talking now could benefit people that might have Crohn's they might mm-hmm. listen to this in 10 years and be like oh I have Crohn's maybe I should try fermenting stuff maybe yeah. I should try like all these mm-hmm. little different things and And that's what got me into it is I stumbled across a website one day that was basically one guy's experience on how he dealt with his Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and he was eating a lot of fermented foods. And so that kind of sparked my interest and I started learning more about it and went down that path. So every little thing can make a difference. But so I started the CBD and the rash went away, the little spot on my arm went away And then the more I started reading and learning about how to use the raw hemp oil, I went ahead and started upping my dose a little bit and a little bit more. And then I got to a pretty high, I guess fairly high dose. I don't know what a high dose would be, but it's essentially 50 milligrams of CBD, CBDA of the hemp oil in the morning. And then I do the same thing at night. And Did it affect you mentally or was it, could you just tell a difference? Mentally, I didn't really notice a difference because I've been my carnivore diet keeps me in ketosis and so I have really good brain clarity and functioning that I didn't notice any cognitive type benefits but the Crohn's symptoms definitely went down and improved and so I noticed after everything else the Crohn's Crohn's symptoms were improving and then I noticed my sleep was becoming better too so yeah sleep's a that's the only time your body can really start recovering mm-hmm. from the day. That kind of makes me think about, like, have you ever tried fasting? Yes. Yep. Fasting right now. I <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Haven't eaten since dinner yesterday, but... <laughs> have you tried prolonged fasts? <laughs> the longest I've done is about 36, maybe 48 hours, and I still drink my butter coffee in the morning, so... Yeah. I keep going back and forth with, like, the different styles of fasting Mm -hmm. like i don't think you necessarily have to drink water only Mm -hmm. but i would also like personally like my opinion would be if i'm going to drink coffee because it's so low in calories like the five calories that you're going to get out of coffee the 
thermic effect of drinking the coffee mm-hmm. is burning those five calories. So it's not really, it's not like you're changing your metabolism from drinking coffee, but I wouldn't add butter to my coffee so I could fast. Mm-hmm. But there is like the mimicking fasting diet where you're doing a lot of the buttered coffees. So you're satiated mm-hmm. and then you can go on for like a week cause you have calories in, but you're, some people say that you're still fasting, but yeah. I would consider that just a more of extreme ketosis. Mm-hmm. I just don't know enough about one way versus the other, but I've yeah. tried like the 72 hour fast. And whenever you're talking about like the satiation and not craving sweets, the first day mm-hmm. like was kind of rough. The second day was so bad because I was like craving all these things. Cause it's almost like my gut bacteria was like, Oh, you need these, get them now. Like they were making me crave it. But then after I was done, I didn't have those cravings. So I've heard people say that who have done extended fast before that once you can get past day three is what I've heard. Once you get past day three, it's really easy. But <laughs> I've heard some people say like, if you do like a two week long fast, not eating anything, mm-hmm. then by like day 10 to 14, you're like, whenever you poop, it mm-hmm. almost looks like you're pooping out your intestines because there's just so much buildup of stuff. Yeah. And it's like just coming out. Might be. So I was I've, like, that's, it's interesting I've stuff. I've never made it that long. So <laughs> <laughs> whenever I went for three days, I felt mm-hmm. like I could keep going. Yeah. But on day one, I was like, oh, I'm getting hungry. Then day, day two, I was, day two is the worst by and far. And the more, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Mm-hmm. People say that, but I truly believe it and have experienced it. Cause years ago I, I gave fasting, intermittent fasting a try because I'd read that fasting would help rest the gut and Mm -hmm. so i thought maybe it would help my crohn's a little bit but at the time i was just eating a regular diet i think at that point i wasn't following anything in particular and and it was so hard to skip (laughs) one meal just one meal was so hard and i think i did it for a couple days and thought i can't do this i have to eat this is too hard you know and then fast forward all these years later and i'm doing a keto diet. Now I'm carnivore keto and I'm learning how to listen to my body. I think managing the stress, my body has just kind of helped to find its balance and and the fasting is easier now. Like I can I can do it. I don't get terribly hungry. I'll forget to eat. If I get hungry, it might just be for a minute and it'll pass. So it's a pretty interesting phenomenon how you know, practice makes perfect, mm-hmm. perfect, even when it comes to fasting. This all makes me think like with the fasting and your whole process from, because when did you develop Crohn's? Like, I got Crohn's in 2006 was my first big flare up. Okay. So almost 15, 14 About years ago. 12, 13 12? years. Yeah. yeah. So was there ever a time where you realized like your mental state changed? Where you were like, not like mental state in the way that Mm -hmm. you go from this is so hard, this is challenging to mentally positive about it. It changes very frequently, but yes, it definitely does. And um, I've I've met a lot of people with IBD that have kind of gone through a similar similar thing where some days you're just, you want to give up and it's frustrating and it feels like nothing you do matters. Other days, things are working and you're on top of the world. And so that's a, a mental game in and of itself. But I think early on, I, I didn't know anything about Crohn's. So I had to learn all about Crohn's. 
But then I felt like I didn't have any control over anything because the doctors, they just had the medications and it's a lifelong disease and you can't get rid of it. What kind of medications are you on? Um, So when I used to take the medications, they were biologics. And so Humira is what I took and Imuran was a pill, but they were immunosuppressants and immunomodulators and in the biologic category. So definitely not without side effects, um, which is what concerned me. But so I think early on, I just had this frustrating sense that I had no control over anything. And you would try certain things, they might work for a little bit, and then they'd stop working. Or you'd eat one thing, and you'd be fine, then you'd eat that same thing again, and you wouldn't be fine. So over the years, I think playing with my diet and my workouts and my supplements has kind of given me that control back to where I feel like, all right, if my body is going to fight me, let me come to the fight prepared and yeah. let me do everything I can to put myself in the best spot I possi- possibly can to fight this. And so I think that's been the biggest mindset change over this whole time that I've had that it's even on the days when I get down and things aren't working anymore, it makes me say, all right, get back up, brush off the dirt and let's Let's try a different approach. Let's try something else. Yeah. But keep trying because it's an ongoing battle and it's it's not easy and it's frustrating. And some days it feels like <laughs> one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. But keep keep trying and keep pushing forward. It's interesting because whenever you look at some of the people who've gone through extreme traumatic issues with health, mm-hmm. The people who think they're going to die from a certain disease, they typically die from that disease because they just feel like it's almost like you're you can signal your body to not mm-hmm. do that by being positive about something. Mm-hmm. So it's like the more you learn, the more you can say, well, in the past this happened. So now, you know, whereas if you're brand new to Crohn's and you just mm-hmm. got it, you just realize you have it and you're in the bathroom all the time. And you're like, oh, this is going to be impossible. The first year is probably the worst. Well, and I think there's a lot to be said for outlook and being positive and being grateful. That's kind of a, a new area I've been researching and diving into a little bit. But I came across this book, and I believe it was called The Gratitude Diaries, How a Year of Living Graciously Changed My Life. And I'm forgetting the author right now. But I read it, and it was so interesting how even towards the end of the book, there was one part that the author talked about how being grateful and having this gratitude mindset, it has physical impacts the way your body functions, like your immune system. And so when you're not, when you're not triggering these stress hormones and your body is able to stay calm and reduce inflammation and be able to fight infections better, it really makes you think, wow, something so simple as just a positive mindset and being grateful can physically impact your health. Mm-hmm. And so that's reinforced, you know, the positive mindset I've been developing throughout all of this, but it really reinforced it to to hammer at home and just say, all right, I'm grateful that so far my experiment of no medication is working and I'm able to function, I go to work and my life is, you know, very good right now, a husband who loves me, 
a job who's supportive. So just being grateful has so many benefits beyond, you know, just a simple thank you, but Mm -hmm. when it's impacting our health. So it's almost the, the latter part of where people start looking. Mm -hmm. People start with the, I want to look better. Mm-hmm. And normally it's not you want to look better for other people. You want to look better for, or you don't want to look better for yourself. You want to look better for other people because mm-hmm. you care about what people think. So then that leads you down the road of exercise. Mm-hmm. Then that leads you down the road after a couple of years to the nutrition. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, okay, well now I need to like figure out the nutrition and then the exercise together. And then it seems like the end is always the gratitude, being gracious mm-hmm. for other people or just for uh, life in general. Being appreciative and enjoying life yeah it does because if you can get straight like if i was to start everything over that i've learned from mm-hmm. my path to life <laughs> be great grateful first <laughs> from the beginning yeah because once you're grateful then your whole outlook is so much easier throughout the day mm-hmm. like meditating whenever i meditate whenever i don't want to meditate mm-hmm. the other day i was like i didn't want to do anything i was like i'm going to meditate i don't want to but mm-hmm. i'm going to and i sat down downstairs Lindsay was out running or something mm-hmm. and i meditated I put my timer on. I was like, I'm going to see how long I can meditate. I went five minutes and I looked at my phone and I hit the little lap button. I was like, this is going to be long. And then I sat there for another 15 minutes. I was like, okay, that wasn't as bad. Mm -hmm. Then I sat there for like 41 minutes total. That day was the most productive day I had ever (laughs) in the past like year. Did you meditate in the morning and then you were just perked up for the rest of the day? I guess so. I mean, just having, I Mm -hmm. guess I... The way I meditated, I was just any thought that came through my head, mm-hmm. I would let it come to fruition and then let it just leave. Mm-hmm. Any thought that came through, I would just do that. And then towards the end, I was, it was almost like a trippiness. Like I was mm-hmm. experiencing like colors, like I was seeing shades of kind of like a, a kaleidoscope in a sense mm-hmm. of just colors and I wasn't thinking anything. And I could feel my breath really relaxed, but deep breathing. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like a restorative state because mm-hmm. I, I woke up and then I went downstairs, didn't want to do anything. So I spent like 10 minutes, 20 minutes up. And then I did that. So it's almost like I, I don't know, that was like the, it was a very unique experience for me. Well, tell me more about the meditation, like how you learned to do it, what got you interested and in how you learned to it. Because it's something I've considered before, but I've never been good about just sitting there quietly. And I don't like, how do you learn to meditate? So... I, my first time meditating Mm -hmm. was to become more productive in my day. Mm -hmm. So there's different types of meditation. So at that time, whenever I first started college, I would try to get into it so I could prepare myself for the day by waking up, going to my table, my, where I did all my homework and schoolwork Mm -hmm. and stuff. How'd you sit there and think about, okay, I woke up. That's what I did this morning. I brushed my teeth. I went through my morning that Mm -hmm. I knew that I did. So my like current past. And then I would start thinking, what do I need to get done today? And I'd let my head fill up with all the stuff I want to get done. And then I would kind of organize everything in my head. Mm -hmm. And that would normally, I would normally do it for 10 to 20 minutes. Like that was like my meditation then. Then I took a, uh, I started, you know, listening to Paul check Mm -hmm. a little more and some meditation stuff and uh, OSHA Mm -hmm. and some other people and doing some kundalini yoga. So it's kundalini yoga. You're doing yoga, but you're also breathing. It's intense. I've done kundalini before, and (laughs) it's 
It's very it's painful, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've done that before, mm-hmm. and that I couldn't really get into. And then I took a class in uh, consciousness, and we talked about different forms of meditation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so one of the things that stuck with me that just connected to me, which I feel like any type of medica- meditation, medication, <laughs> meditation <laughs> is medication, um, <laughs> is if you find something that sounds good to you, try that first. Mm-hmm. Like whenever I first started, you know, it was like, this sounded good. Let me try to just organize my thoughts. And that was like my meditation. Mm-hmm. And now it's whenever I heard my professor talk about you can do one form where you just let the thoughts come in, mm-hmm. think about it, but then just it just naturally goes away. So if you try to push off on that thought, mm-hmm. there's a blockade there. So you can't let that, you're not letting, you're not allowing that to come in because you're trying to be quiet mm-hmm. and you're trying to be zen. Mm-hmm. You're creating more stress. So allowing this to come through, it's like, okay, so that's why. I think that's what happens to me when I've tried to meditate before is I have this idea that I have to be completely quiet and my mind has to be quiet and then I'm trying to not think about things which makes me think about mm-hmm. things and then I don't feel like I'm meditating <laughs> that's I've tried meditating many times mm-hmm. and that was the same thing because my brain is just like it's always going it's so, so can, hard to shut down you could just if someone wanted to start meditating if I were to say all right I'm going to go home and try this I can just be still and then for x amount of time and I whatever tried, comes in just let it happen in. Let it happen. Let it come in. I pass. sat down, like cross leg, like Indian style, mm-hmm. but I put a pillow underneath my butt so my knees mm-hmm. were a little more comfortable. And I kind of had like a straight up posture. And I had my, it was, it was interesting, I had my hands on my like mm-hmm. knees. And by the end, my hands were folded up and my fingers were together, mm-hmm. like my thumb and my uh, like a pointer yoga finger, sit. like a yoga <laughs> sit. And I was like, this is interesting. Like I'm kind of in that position that Mm -hmm. you see people doing and I'm just like, I was kind of like just holding it naturally. Naturally relaxed. But it was, uh, it was challenging to do, but Mm -hmm. I noticed the longer I did it, the easier it was. And I got, (laughs) I got that, I got that idea, the timing thing, whenever I would study, whenever Mm -hmm. I'd start a new semester, I would sit down and I would study. Once my mind got off track, I would set the timer or stop the timer or lap Mm -hmm. the timer and say, okay, it took me three minutes of studying before my mind thought about something else. I would take a one minute break. After my one minute, I'd go back into studying. And every time I did that, it got longer and longer. So I was able to study, say, three minutes, minute break, five minutes, minute break, 12 minutes, a minute break, mm-hmm. 40 minutes, a minute break, all the way until I got, like, I could study for four hours straight without mm-hmm. even, like, with, with nothing. It's because whenever you're putting yourself into a position that's new that you don't want to do mm-hmm. and you just commit to it, once you say, okay, I'm going to sit here no matter what, there's a lot of resistance at the beginning. Kind of like if you're starting a new job or you're doing mm-hmm. something new the next day and you're trying to go to sleep that night. There's just so many thoughts in your head. So it takes forever to go to sleep because mm-hmm. you're trying to like not think so you can go to sleep, mm-hmm. but then you think more. So I took those two ways of doing things in my mm-hmm. life the yoga then with the timer to mm-hmm. see how long i progressed and then that allowed me to get like into the deep yoga because the last 20 minutes i didn't even it felt like it, it it was a the best way to describe it it felt like i was sitting there for 10 hours mm-hmm. but i was also sitting there for a couple seconds mm-hmm. yeah i've never experienced anything like that before 
with a, and it's hard to talk about like on a, on an Instagram post because there's just so many How do you emotions. convey that? Yeah. So I just kind of put like, yeah, this was my message on Instagram <laughs> that, you know, like I've meditated mm-hmm. and it felt good and whatever. So talking, I like that approach to it though. Yeah. It definitely, um, it's easy and it's, it allows you mm-hmm. to, to do. Mm-hmm. So that's what I liked about it. Um, so yeah, anyone that wants to meditate, I would say just sit there and think about like, if something yeah. comes in, think about it. It's kind of like, uh, I also got that idea. There was a correlation there with songs. If you get a song stuck in your head mm-hmm. and you keep singing it, if you listen to that song all the way through, mm-hmm. you stop singing it because now your body's finished with that. It's like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. It has you to know. complete it. Once it's complete, then you, there's no longer a need for you to keep humming, hemming it or whatever. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think a mixture of all those things just kind of came together. I'm like, I just kind of do what I wanted to do and that's what happened. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to try that. I do, um, I do inversions, which is almost probably the closest thing I can get to meditation. And so I'll, I have a yoga swing that I hang up on a pull-up bar and then I'll do an inversion. But that really helps my body to calm and kind of stop because I'm just focused on hanging upside down and letting everything relax and so that's probably the the closest i get to meditation which i enjoy i really like the inversion part of it i noticed that too whenever i first get on my inversion table and people whenever i bring them over mm-hmm. and they get on the inversion table the first couple times they don't relax mm-hmm. so it's not doing anything for them but Lindsay's a perfect example whenever she's doing it like every night she's like this is crazy the first night i couldn't get relaxed and my hips were tight my back was mm-hmm. tight my head was tight now my hips are loosening up and the next time it's like now I'm, I can feel my spine mm-hmm. it's like one segment at a time just stretching just, now I feel my mm-hmm. neck stretching it's like it just works its way down that's another uh, form of yoga that I have tried breathing mm-hmm. like the I do it for more like a calming like I can control my heart rate mm-hmm. if my heart rate's high I can bring my heart rate down to like 30 40 beats per minute isn't that amazing just by doing like the box breathing. So mm-hmm. you breathe in one, two, three, yeah. and hold for four, and then release for four, yeah. hold for four, and then just do like that set of box breathing. And from doing that, I've seen a big difference. Or the breathing where to calm myself down the best way, because I was doing an exercise physiology class, mm-hmm. and my heart rate got up to 180 on one of the tests I did, because it was like a high intensity test. Did you wear a heart rate monitor? Yeah, heart rate the- monitor mm-hmm. had a breathing apparatus on, so it was telling like the oxygen I was pulling in, the carbon mm-hmm. dioxide that was going out, and I did the uh, lactic blood mm-hmm. test. So I was like, because it was like, it was a lab. <clears throat> and whenever I was done, she's like, okay, and I'll just sit there and pedal until your heart rate goes down mm-hmm. for like five minutes or so uh, at a casual pace. And I did some deep breathing. I was like, hold for three seconds, breathe out really slow, like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, hold, uh, mm-hmm. breathe out. And within two of those breaths, because I've been practicing this, my heart rate was down to like 50. And I was like, can I get off now? And she's like, no, wait. Well, your heart rate's like really low. So, yeah. Because <laughs> I was doing that whenever I was working out. I, I wanted to try to get into the parasympathetic nervous system state mm-hmm. while I was working out. Workout's sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You're exploding. You're getting the adrenaline up. So I would work out, do a hard set, and then do some deep breathings to calm myself down as much as possible so you're recovering faster. So, because the faster you can get into a parasympathetic nervous system state, mm-hmm. the faster you'll recover from that workout. 
That's interesting. So I was doing that there. Then I, did, I applied that, that at the lab. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul checks big into doing art between mm-hmm. sets. Like, like that's why I have my uh, dry erase boards outside because I mm-hmm. like write stuff down or draw smiley faces or butterflies or whatever I want to draw. Anything that's like just comes to my head. Every time I hear the name Paul Check, I think back. I first heard about him. It's probably 18 years ago, but one of the very first workout DVDs that I had, this was right after VHS was no longer, <laughs> but <laughs> it was in the early 2000s. But I got Paul Check's Swiss Ball DVD for better abs, butt, and back, I believe. And you would think, I mean, I thought a Swiss ball workout for my lower body, I thought I was going to just fly right through that piece of cake because mm-hmm. I was pretty pretty fit and active. And it <laughs> was one of the hardest workouts I've ever done. Just some incredible moves and uh, the way he goes goes through everything. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, he's a very interesting individual. And he has different stages, like that's mm-hmm. like the Swiss ball era of him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> People would call him gay and fag or, you know, all these mm-hmm. like just horrible words back then because he would bring a Swiss ball out. And, and it like, was so different at the I'm time. I'm standing on a Swiss ball doing squats. Mm-hmm. You can't even sit on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's almost like the seasons mm-hmm. of his life. And yeah. then you look back and it's like, how, like how much better of workouts do I get now because I know how to use a Swiss ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like if he didn't have that time in his life to show people that so far, he's one of the most inspirational people to me mm-hmm. because of all the, all the things he's done. Yeah. So quite a bit. The experience just builds from one thing to the next. Yeah. So. Is that the only thing you've done with his stuff? It is. Yeah. Have you tried any other workout protocols or I do this last year I've gotten pretty creative I think because a year it was about a year and a half ago that I moved up to New Braunfels and that's when I stopped I used to be a big gym goer but then I moved up to New Braunfels and just where our house is located versus where the gym is located it's an extra it's pretty much a 35 minute drive to get to the gym and I drive an hour to each way to work every day so So that's two hours of drive time for work. And then if I were to go to the gym, there'd be another hour of drive time there and back. So this last year and a half, I've really just been working out at home and trying a lot of different things. One of my favorite things is the rebound, the rebounder. Mm -hmm. So think back to the 80s aerobics and the leg warmers and jumping on a mini trampoline. It's a mini trampoline, but... It's different though, because I have a mini trampoline downstairs that I technically rebound on mm-hmm. or bounce on because i'm going up and down yeah but yours is different because it's you're going a little deeper and you're i think you're activating more of that g-force on yours yeah i'd have to go back and look at all the details but there's a couple of premium rebounders the bellicon and the seller sizer i think are the top two brands for rebounding and they're significant like difference in price significant like, you can, you go can to, buy cheap ones for like yeah. 30 bucks and that's what i did the first first time i thought about doing this i went to walmart and i bought a mini trampoline for 30 bucks because i thought let me try it for a day or so and if i like it then i'll spend 350 dollars or to 500 dollars. yeah to 500 dollars <laughs> on an actual good quality rebounder and so i bounced on the you know the cheap one 
for a day or two and I I could tell I liked the bouncing I wanted to do it so I bought the higher end one and the reason I did that is because what do we like about bouncing real quick just to go on a little tangent Okay. I might well, well I might forget safety is the big thing I want to point out though like just the safety of your joints and the safety of your knees okay keep it's, going with this and we'll, so we'll go, the go back on a cheap on a cheap rebounder just the way that the springs or lack of quality in the springs and the material and the equipment you're more prone to injury so on I guess a it's cheaper a machine more aggressive yeah it's more aggressive so the higher end ones are designed for that that bounce and the rebound and the workout you, as opposed to just being a little kid playing on it. Do you bounce higher on uh, yeah, your I rebounder? Yeah, I think you bounce higher. Do you, is it like a you go in deeper too? I think so, yeah. Okay. Compared to... But um, so my favorite thing about rebounding, number one, I love that it moves the lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I really didn't have any awareness of before until I started researching the benefits of rebounding. You have a lot of big people like Tony Robbins and mm-hmm. uh, the guy, yeah, the Virgin they come Airlines out of the guy. woodwork and it's like all these people rebound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it moves that lymphatic system, which benefits the immune system and actually activates every single cell in your body because that force of gravity pulling you down and then shooting you back up activates and makes every single cell in your body awaken it's like a form of vibration Mm -hmm. exactly and so i love and i love that it's you can dial up or dial down the intensity so if you're a beginner just do a light little easy bounce and well you even showed me and Lindsay Mm -hmm. just sitting on your butt and bouncing sitting on your butt and bouncing so you can take it from that all the way up to this high impact sweating (laughs) intense cardio session and and it's the same piece of equipment and you just control what it is you do. And I I think it's kind of fun because you can just, you can do kicks, you can do a running motion, do some jumping jacks, do a twisting bounce. So it's really easy to just change things up, control that intensity, have a little fun with it. So I've been, I try to incorporate that with pretty much most of my, my workouts at home. So you try to do workouts on it? Like you don't just wake up in the morning and do like just a minute or two of rebounding and then go off with your day all of the above so there's been some days that i'll wake up and if it's really hard for you to get out of bed just get out of bed get on the trampoline the rebounder and just do some light bouncing for five minutes and it really just moves your whole body moves gets everything going and is a nice nice way to wake up and so i've done that before and then i've done where i'll incorporate it Sometimes I'll use it as a warm-up for my workout because mm-hmm. it's a great way to get the body moving, start swinging your arms around, kicking your legs out. I've done of. it in between sets mm-hmm. just to yep. keep me moving. And then I've done that too <laughs> where it's in between sets and it keeps you moving. So it's more variety and versatility that it has. And it's fun too. So and it's fun. It adds yeah. that like fun component. That's what mm-hmm. I was thinking, like kind of going back to where I wanted to go off into a tangent. Mm-hmm. Whenever we're kids, we yeah. love being on someone's lap and bouncing Mm -hmm. that that rocking yeah it's interesting how we're not kids anymore yeah but you think back like when did you stop having fun when did you stop just being goofy doing all these fun things and you can exercise like this you can exercise and have fun yeah Yeah. like exercise doesn't have to be miserable like there's certain things i don't do because i don't enjoy them but if you enjoy other things do those so you won't 
you won't catch me out for a long run. No, no, no. <laughs> That's what I have to do sometimes with my workouts whenever I'm not feeling it, mm-hmm. but I know I want to work. I want to reach a goal. And so I'm big into resting the days you need to rest, but sometimes mm-hmm. like you do have to force yourself to get into the workout. Yeah. So I'll do my favorite workout, like mm-hmm. whatever, if it's deadlifts or whatever, if I, if that's not even programmed for the day, I'll do deadlifts just because it's my favorite workout. Yeah. And then five minutes doing that, I'm like, oh, I'm ready to work mm-hmm. out all day long ready to now. Do yeah. more. Have you heard of a uh, bioenergetics? I have not. So going back to kind of like the Paul check, Elliot Hulse thing, mm-hmm. I learned about that from uh, Elliot Hulse. He does this thing where you're you're like bouncing like on your heels, so you're mm-hmm. creating like a, a shock to your body, but you're mm-hmm. not jumping high. You're just like almost like maybe coming off the ground a couple centimeters, but just enough mm-hmm. to like jolt your body and you're doing non-pattern moving. So you're just moving however you're not- Kind of flailing about. Flailing, <laughs> yeah. It's, you look like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. But whenever you do that, you create so much like movement and energy that you just- you feel like you're ready to do anything. Mm-hmm. So that's what rebounding kind of makes me think of, but just yeah. like a different form. Kind of is in a way. It kind of, it loosens up everything that you forgot you had. Yeah. <laughs> so. Is there I, any other forms of exercise you do? Started playing with kettlebells. That's new for me too. And again, it was the working out at home. I wanted to do some different things and have some different options. And kettlebells are compact and portable and you don't need a whole set you can just get one or maybe a couple yeah so i started playing with the kettlebells and since i was so new to them i i didn't know where to start or what to do but i found That's the, the biggest problem mm-hmm. with everyone that i talked to and i found the scog i went ahead and i thought this is something i want to do let me invest a little bit of money into it and it wasn't a lot i think i bought i think it was 40 dollars for the i have a roku tv but you can get it as a dvd set too but i got the roku app for the tv and it was 40 bucks and it was a phenomenal instructional walk you through the basics of how to do the kettlebell movements how to be safe how to have good technique and form it was the skog s-k-o-g-g skog kettlebell training and it was fantastic and it was i was so surprised at how intense kettlebell training is because you look it's like the it, rebounder you can make it as yeah, intense as you want it to be as you want because you i mean i would just look at this this little kettlebell and think it's just one simple way and you do a couple lunges and things with it but the movements are so complex and total body that it really activates pretty much everything that you, i get so out of breath and i love it and it's different and it's fun i feel like it's one of the most functional forms mm-hmm. of moving for the widest range of people yes I whether think so. you're a runner you're an old uh, an elderly individual mm-hmm. like an advanced age person um a swimmer anyone yeah. strength person anyone like i feel like there's the biggest carryover with the kettlebell yeah and there's so much variety you can do with it too you can just like the rebounding as you were saying you can dial it up or dial it down like you have a lot of control with with the kettlebells mm-hmm. and how you use it we used to do like to uh Tabata style sets mm-hmm. where we would do 20 seconds on 10 seconds off mm-hmm. so it's like 20 seconds on of like heavy like depending on what weight you're using you could you know yeah have a 35 pound and swing it 20 times in 20 seconds or you could have a 55 pound or a 52 pound and swing that 10 times in 20 mm-hmm. seconds but you're still getting the same like intensity uh yeah or you could just like sometimes i'll just go out and on my way to work pick up the kettlebell do 10 swings and mm-hmm. go to work and, yeah you know or come home or 
watching TV and do a couple, like throw it, throw one of my kettlebells in the living room and do a couple sets. And I think the other benefits is that it really kettlebell training helps with balance and flexibility because mm-hmm. so many of the moves are just the technique and like a one-legged deadlift or just the lunging and passing the weight under your leg and around while you're moving. It's allowing you to create an unstable environment Mm -hmm. to create more stability. Yeah, because that's one thing I've noticed as I'm getting older, I'm (laughs) (laughs) creeping up to 40, so I'm still 37. But this last year, I got to say, between the ages of 36 to 37, I've noticed just quickly declining balance and those small movements that you take for granted, I'm really starting to notice a difference. And so it's kind of been this wake up call recently that I need to work on my balance and coordination in some of these complex movements. So I love that both the rebounding and the kettlebell also have those benefits of of doing that. This kind of makes me think with your age again, Mm -hmm. if you didn't have Crohn's, like you probably wouldn't want, you wouldn't wish Crohn's on anyone. No, definitely not. <laughs> but at the same time, so many people are turning 40 years old. Mm-hmm. They haven't had any problems in their life. Mm-hmm. They've, they're, they feel what they are healthy. Like they don't, they're, they're not overweight, whatever. Yeah. But then there's a certain point where they're just going to like fall apart Yeah. because they never took care of themselves because they, they're just eating fast food and their metabolism worked and they just seemed like they thought they were healthy. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like someone like you or me to the degree where if I eat food and I'm not Mm -hmm. conscious of what I do, like I gain weight super fast people, you more so than me, but then me more so than someone who feels like they're healthy until they're 40 or 50. And then like we have this benefit from these problems. Mm -hmm. We get to live a healthy life and learn about all these things. So whenever we're 60, it's going to be so much easier. Whenever we're 80, we're going to still be living a happy, healthy life and moving around. Mm Or someone who's 40, like they might be quote unquote healthy until they're 60, but then they die at 60 and from 50 to 60, they can't move or get up or do anything. Yeah. So it's like you lived 50 years of your life where you could do stuff, but the last 50% of your life, you weren't fully functional. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'd rather be super functional until I'm 80 or 90. Practice now. Yeah. And that's one thing that I am part of my gratitude lessons. You know, I am grateful that. Crohn's has been the catalyst, so to speak, for me to focus on my health and really make it an important part of what I do every day, not just, you know, physically, but nutritionally. And it's given me an awareness that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And so it really does force me to be proactive and the mindset of how can I take on this challenge well, you're a lifelong student too, because someone else yeah. can probably deal with the same stuff you're dealing with. But they're just going to stay on medicines. Yeah. So I think it takes that. It takes that first step of how can I get off of this, or how can I make yeah. myself better? How can I optimize myself? So it's. Before we wrap up, is there any speculations of yours that thinks of how you could have mm-hmm. gotten Crohn's? Kind of. I speculate a lot. Oh, I love <laughs> but, But Crohn's is complex and there's more research coming out that is looking at environmental factors and lifestyle factors. So there's a lot of interesting things coming, I think, because we still don't know 
what causes Crohn's and yeah. we don't know why people get it. Nobody in my family has Crohn's, but there are people with other autoimmune diseases in my family. And so I think that gave me a genetic predisposition to developing Crohn's. And then I think there's lifestyle factors. I grew up and I ate a lot of sugar and then I joined the army and broke my foot and I took tons and tons and tons of ibuprofen. (laughs) So my gut has kind of had this constant assault on it from my entire life, really. Being in the military, you were also, you're required in the military to to be vaccinated. Yeah, and so that's, I think, the final piece is then in the military, I I was in a reserve unit at the time that the anthrax vaccinations were big. And so then I got the anthrax vaccine, and I think that's maybe the straw that broke the camel's back of just okay. I had this whole perfect storm, so Getting to there speak. Getting before you uh, could. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I think I just had a genetic predisposition, a whole lifestyle of beating down my body and then throw in a little bit of external toxins, and I think it was enough to activate and turn on the Crohn's gene. <laughs> Interesting. So that's my theory. There's absolutely no yeah. proof to it. And I don't know how you could or would prove it. We'll see. But that's kind of, I definitely think it's a complex combination of things. Yeah. I was just curious because, I mean, you are you and mm-hmm. you could, you know, at some point say, well, I realized that all this stuff happened and then now I'm here. Yeah. So I think it's 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 good to speculate because would speculation can create forms of new research mm-hmm. it's like that's what i loved about doing science is yeah. you speculate all day long and then you come up with this idea like oh let's maybe look this into is that. A, let's <laughs> look into it yeah so i feel like it's good to even if no one can grow from it mm-hmm. maybe someone will maybe someone can say hey let's look into that even though no one out of everyone who has crohn's no one's experienced this but let's look at this one person's experience mm-hmm. and now let's go look actively look for people that has crohn's and see if this fits their situation mm-hmm because food I could see being a big proponent like subjectively mm-hmm. I haven't looked into it as much as you because I'm <laughs> not I don't need to specialize yeah. in it <laughs> um so I could see food being a big issue because that's yeah. we do it all that's how we live we consume food and then the vaccines are are very interesting very mm-hmm. controversial like I don't yeah. think I'm against them mm-hmm. but then I don't think they're always 100% necessary yeah like I think I'm, I lived a life of the least effective dose. Mm-hmm. So if there's vaccines that we need to prevent stuff mm-hmm. like from our kids or whatever, like let's give them, instead of giving them 67, mm-hmm. let's give them two or three. Yeah. Kind of go about it that way. It's just, there's, there's not enough information. I mean, there's 30 not. years from now I could be like, Oh, well I wish I would have gave my kid all 500 vaccines yeah. or it could be, I wish I didn't give my kid any, you know? Yeah, I think we're at a time where a lot of research for a lot of things are getting ready, you know, to come out. I'm thinking of vaccines. I've I've definitely read things where some people believe maybe it's not the individual vaccine per se, but it's how close apart we give them. Like, so rather than giving all the vaccines mm-hmm. in one day, maybe we need to give spread them out a little bit more so i think we'll see some more research 
That's in that. Um, there's a lot of Crohn's research that is exciting me right now. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation is doing a lot of research into dietary management of Crohn's, looking at like a specific carbohydrate diet or a Mediterranean diet, but they're starting to look at those things. There's new research coming out that will hopefully be more of a diagnostic tool, like give physicians the ability to say, do maybe a blood test and say, your Crohn's is on this end of the spectrum or this end, so we think these type of medications might work with your specific case. So there's a lot of exciting things that I really didn't know about until probably the last six months were were actually out there and happening. Yeah, And the gut microbiome, there's a ton of research that's going to be coming out on that in the next five, 10 oh, years. Yeah. I think we're just that's beginning there. a really big topic because there's so many mm-hmm. autism and stuff that people are starting to correlate with some of the foods we're eating, which is causing autoimmune issues, which yeah. is causing, you know, it's like bacteria. <laughs> it's crazy. So one question, mm-hmm. then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. If you could go back mm-hmm. to when you had Crohn's and you could take one pill to never have to worry about Crohn's again, would you take it or are you happy that you've been down the journey that you've experienced? I would take the pill. You would take the pill? <laughs> and I would take the pill and hope that the determination and... So taking, so I guess the question would be taking the pill and never learning what you know now mm-hmm. or dealing with what you've had and learning as much stuff as you know. I can't learn this stuff another route. <laughs> well, I mean, if you didn't have Crohn's, you wouldn't. But I might. Maybe I would have oh, had another. That, that is true. You know, another life-changing viewpoint, or. Um, but I, you know, and I've always been big into fitness and health and lifestyle. I got into that when I graduated. Well, even in high school, it was you know fitness. I was a gymnast and did cheerleading and. It was a part of my life. But then when I got to college, I really started lifting weights. And then I started getting into the fitness competitions and, and doing that and learning a lot with, with nutrition and, and bodybuilding and, and fitness. And so part of me wonders if I didn't have Crohn's, how that you might path just be would, advanced have, somewhere would else. have advanced in a different direction maybe. Because cause with Crohn's, I certainly am restricted with what I eat and how I would prepare for a contest and so kind of just makes you wonder i think (laughs) but if i could not have crohn's and eat a (laughs) chocolate chip cookie (laughs) and not have to suffer greatly i'd take a pill (laughs) i'm gracious for you having crohn's in the sense that you can help other people well and i'm i'm that's what i'm hoping to do is just by by sharing my stories um on my blog and my instagram and now through a podcast i'll be starting is sharing my stories and other people's stories how can people get a hold of you or connect to you or find like what, what are all your so names my, my instagram i go by at crohn's fitness food and i did that because my blog that i started was crohn's fitness food and my rocky road to health because it kind of sums up crohn's f- which is now a part of my life <laughs> fitness and food which have been and remain to be but it's all this rocky road of trying to find this path to health. And so that's my blog is Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And then the podcast is also going to be named Crohn's Fitness Food, just to keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find that on, on the Apple Podcasts and Google. But, but through these 
venues, I hope to share my story, what I've done, just my experiences, what's helped me, what has not helped me, and then bringing on other people with Crohn's and colitis and what's helped them and what hasn't helped them and how do they keep a strong outlook or how do they change certain things because I think we have so much, whether you have Crohn's or not, I think we have so much to learn from each other and to just one idea might spark something in yourself that you want to try. And 100%. And so I just, I love that technology has given us that. Yeah. So for each of your forms of media, mm-hmm. are you giving different information or is it? I think so because the blog, I go into a lot of details of just my life and my experiences and okay. a lot of the research that I do behind some of the things. So Instagram might be that snapshot in time where this is my current workout but then the blog might be here's how i got motivated for that (laughs) workout and here's how you can be motivated and then the podcast is going to be not just my stories but the stories of other people other people out there from all across the the u.s and hopefully around the world eventually (laughs) so well cool we're going to sign off and we will talk to you later all right thank you Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member, that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohnsfitnessfood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohnsfitnessfood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.crohn'sfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.